Well, good afternoon, everybody. We're coming to you live. I'm Pastor Kevin. I'm Pastor Danielle. And that is Pastor Tom. I can't do it. Yeah, we're a little reversed here. (laughs) Um, Thank you for joining us today. Um, The idea behind the live messages uh, this uh, weekend, as well as the next couple weeks, is for you all, Sparkers, to have a time to read the passage ahead of time, actually kind of get familiar with the story. And then we're going to come together and share some thoughts, reflections, the regular stuff that Spark likes to do, which is ask the question of history and culture and context, and then ask the question, what does that mean? How does that work for us? All that kind of stuff. But we also want to make this interactive, which means that those of you who are online with us right now, comment on the YouTube function, or you can text uh, me. Um, I'll ha- I have my text messages up and ready. Uh, any questions, and we'll do our best to interact with all of those. So. Uh, that's what we're doing today. And uh, before we get there, however, we have a question for this guy over here. Tom, what is it like being a grandpa? This is, oh, this is it new. It is so amazing. When you think about, I don't know, if you haven't had a kid, and let's say you don't believe in Jesus, when you have that kid, you will know a miracle occurred. <laughs> and we've had a little baby boy in our house for the last month uh, named Tucker J. And he just brings such joy and life and other things. But he's <laughs> fantastic. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, life has had a lot of joy over the last month here in the Arrington Hansen household. Yay. Awesome. Congratulations. We're so Yay. excited for everyone. And please send our love to Courtney and Wally, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing, Tom, and I appreciate that. Uh, first of all, just we're just so happy for you and the family. But also, second of all, to all the Spark community, we know that things like this are happening even during lockdown and COVID and all that stuff. And so we're still continually going to be a family to celebrate with one another momentous occasions such as this. So congratulations. Okay, we are in Luke chapter 10, and we're going to um, share some brief summaries of this particular passage. Uh, There's a very famous story in here, the Good Samaritan story. And then I'm going to ask Pastor Danielle and Pastor Tom to share some of their reflections um, to give us a little bit of insight into the background, the history, context, culture, some things that would be helpful for us to know and understand about these particular passages. So, Uh, Danielle, shall we start with you? Sure. Let's start with me. I just want to say we are missing Sydney, and we're missing her because she, yay, got her second shot, and boo, doesn't feel so hot within the 24 hours afterwards. So, Sydney, we're praying for you. We're grateful that you're getting protected from COVID, and we're excited that very soon you will be on the mend, and we miss you. So, hopefully, you'll be feeling better soon. But for those of you who were here within the first minute introduction and heard or read your email, those of (laughs) like the five of you that read the email and the three of you that were at the very beginning of our announcement today, you know Sydney's not here, and I know you're disappointed. We are too, but we're really grateful that um, nothing's wrong. She'll feel better soon soon and she's just well on her way to second shot. So in two weeks from today, everyone gets to hug Sydney if you're vaccinated. So we're super excited about that. So Sid, we hope you feel better soon and we're missing you in this conversation. Also, we just wanted to let you know that one of the reasons why we thought about this venue and type of conversation is because I think after now, you know, 14 months of this, um, we're all just uh, tired of being by ourselves in this um, I, I will speak for myself. I'm tired of preaching to a camera. 
So um, I am a pastor because I really like people and I really want to be with the people. And I miss you all very, very much. So I want to reiterate Kevin's call that this is interactive because that's why we're doing this. We can interact with one another and interact with you while this gives us life and is different than maybe just watching somebody preach, which I also know has a value as a preacher. I agree. But um, just hopefully that you guys will interact. For, so please. for example, Linda says, yo, Tom. Yo. And that's really how I hear Linda speak. When I hear Linda, I hear her say things like yo in my head. Patty yeah. says, I love it when you are live. Yay! Nancy Tombo. is agreeing with Patty. Congrats, Pastor <laughs> yeah, Tom. Yeah, good job. Tombo Please from Stacy. Keep Congrats, doing Pastor all Tom of those Stacey. things as we read and study the Bible together. Um, and honestly, for those of you who've even been in our home at some point, which hopefully will all be happening again soon, um, this is how we just like to sit and study the Bible together and ask questions and talk. So post your questions as we read through. We're in Luke chapter 10 as we continue our Luke series and wanted to just give all of us a chance to listen in together and interact and, and see how this works. And thank you, Monica. I do miss you too. I can't wait to see you all soon. Um, we have had our second shot, so in about a week, less than a week, we're up. So we're really excited. Okay, chapter 10. You guys ready? After this, if you want to know what that means, read chapter 9. Um, the Lord appoints... <laughs> Aren't you glad we're in the same room? Okay. <laughs> After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two, just like Noah and the ark, um, ahead of them, ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Um, so where are we? Um, here, <laughs> here we go right in this moment. Um, Pastor Mark, just as you're texting, Kevin, I can hear those dings in my ear. So either comment for everybody to see on your YouTube or stop texting Kevin. That's all I want to tell you, Pastor Mark. And um, so just know that you'll be called out right now live. This and is really transparent. It's really me. transparent. Okay. So after this, Jesus went and appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. It's at hand. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. I'll just stop right there for a few moments and let's kind of start to unpack a few things. And for those of you who, I'm going to, Pastor Kevin, I'm going to ask you. I call him Pastor Kevin all the time. Um, even the privacy of our own Pastor Kevin. Um, just joking. Okay, Pastor Kevin, would you please uh, curate the questions as they pop through? And then I'll make sure to address them if you see anything. Okay. Why the number 70 and 72? If you read your textual variant, like your little asterisks at the bottom of your text, they'll say some manuscripts say 70, some manuscripts say 72. Why? Does anybody know? No? Well, okay, here's what's really exciting. The number 70 shows up 77 times in the New Testament alone. 
it's a pretty common and popular number, but we have a couple possibilities that maybe Luke is making a symbolic reference to. And you might say to yourself, but no, I think Jesus actually sent out 70 slash 72. Maybe he did. Or maybe it was a big crowd and Luke's going to grab hold of some of the symbolism to make sure we can pull other symbolism into it. Okay, so here's some suggestions. Um, my favorite suggestion is that when Moses is overwhelmed with all of the duties at Mount Sinai and the judging duties, Jethro comes and he's like, hey, dude, this is totally wrong. You should not be setting this up correctly. So like numbers 11, maybe 25 and 26 and other passages. So he's like, let's make sure. And then the Holy Spirit falls down. The Holy Spirit was in the Hebrew scriptures too. The Holy Spirit falls down on 70 people and they are filled with the spirit and they kind of have this incredible charismatic moment. But there's two back at the camp and Josh was like, hey, no, wait, Moses, there's these other two. And they're also having this prophetic amazing charismatic experience and so maybe is it like is there 70 or 72 so maybe that's why the variant is there that model for 70 slash 72 ended up becoming a way in which people could think about um, the judgment series becoming a model for the Sanhedrin that ruler and judgment a body that existed in the second temple period that Jesus will go between I can hear all the texting by the way um, so we can turn off the texting okay Turn off the text, it's dinging in my ear. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's a possibility. The other possibility is that when Jacob's family went down to Egypt, um, there were about 70 of them. Maybe then the disciples are reflecting the people of Israel coming up out of Egypt. Um, we also know that on Mount Sinai, 70 elders went up with Moses and Aaron to encounter God. So maybe that's the number. Um, there's a a lot of different opportunities and possibilities for these illusions. There's also one other suggestion that um, Amy Jill Levine and Ben Witherington make, which I had not considered before, that apparently in Josephus, Josephus suggests that, of course, there's going to be 70 judges in imitation of Numbers 11, and that the zealots had 70 that they were involved with. And so maybe there's a place of like Jesus is 70s won't be engaging in violent struggle but instead engaging in a peaceful communication of the kingdom of God so those are some of those suggestions of 70 slash 72 there are others but those are my favorite my favorite actually is the story about the Holy Spirit having this amazing experience with 70 and then the two still left in the village and that's why that textual manuscript variant is there okay did we get any questions in that we want to stop at right now no, we're good. Okay, we'll keep cruising on. Okay, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Have you ever had that experience? So much fruitfulness in the field, but not enough people to go and pick the fruit. So what's going to happen with the fruit or the crops that are there? It will rot and get gross and yucky and wasteful. So Jesus is asking all of us to pray that more people will be willing to go and do the hard work, even in the heat of the day, to go and bring in the crop and the harvest. So he has everybody pray that prayer and then he warns them I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves which sounds bad and I think that it could be heard that way um, but then he says even though you're going into that terrible experience don't take any money with you don't take a bag don't take sandals I'm not really sure about that one um, and then don't greet anyone along the road so there's a suggestion a question already submitted by Kevin's amazing dad Keith Grandpa Keith, who asked the question, why not greet anyone? That seems like common courtesy. Why wouldn't you do that? Well, so here's the possible answer. In 2 Kings 
chapter 4, verse 29, Elisha is sending Gehazi, his servant, on a mission to go and raise the Shunammite son back, Shunammite widow's son back to life. So Elisha says to Gehazi, tuck your cloak in your belt, take my staff in your hand and run. And if you meet anyone, don't greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer and lay my staff on the boy's face. So maybe the suggestion here is that there's some sort of immediacy to the mission. Don't get stopped along the way. Don't get distracted. These are not your people on the road. You're to go into the homes and there you will give a greeting. That's the next part here. When you enter the house, first say shalom, peace to this house. The suggestion here is that when we say shalom and peace, it has a greater connotation than just, hey, What's up? How you doing? We're really excited to be here. Shalom, peace has a connotation of reconciliation and calm and things being set to right. So Jesus is suggesting that the place where you bring peace and ministries within the communication of this home and that this home is going to be changed as a result of the information that the disciples are bringing. They enter the house, peace to this house. And if a person of peace is there, then the peace will rest on that person of shalom. If not, it will return to you. And then Jesus says, stay in the house, eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves one's wages. So you can, it's okay. You can partake of that. You are bringing something to it makes a reciprocal relationship. I think Sidney talked about this with some hints the other week about when you go into a community that maybe even has some need, the answers for that need might resist, might reside within the community. So we have this idea of like, they have something to give you, they can provide you hospitality and you provide this great good news of the message that the kingdom is at hand and they're going to heal people. You're going to see all of these incredible things happen as you pursue into the next rest of the chapter. The interesting thing here is that Jesus is telling everybody to eat and drink whatever is set before them. Now, some of us in the Gentile context might think, a non-Jewish context might think, oh, that means that the disciples were told, go eat pork chops. But that is not the case. They're not having bacon wrapped shrimp or scallops. It is clear at this point that the mission of the disciples and the 70 slash 72 that are following and being sent out is still within the Jewish context and world. And that later on, after Acts, not even just Acts chapter two, that's still an entirely Jewish experience and movement for Acts chapter two, Pentecost slash Shavuot. But later on with Peter at Cornelius's house, they will start to move into a Gentile mission. But right now it's still a Jewish mission. So Jesus is just saying, eat what's put in front of you. Don't complain about the quality. Don't com complain about the quantity. Be a good guest. Here's what that looks like. Eats what's in front of you. But it doesn't mean that they had to start eating something non-kosher they weren't in non-jewish homes i'm ready to let tom take off here just out of interest of what, time here's what i want to ask go for it if somebody were to ask you the question what is this all about what is your elevator pitch to them then given all of that history and context given all of the allusions to old testament passages and stories what's your 30 second response what is this actually about what's it doing in the story okay so i have to finish the rest of the passage then to get to the elevator pitch so Jesus says the kingdom of God is here and I tell you it will be more bearable on the day for Sodom and Gomorrah, for Sodom on that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, if the miracles performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sida, notoriously Gentile areas, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, be more bearable for Tyre and Sida at the beginning than for you, Capernaum, and you be lifted up the skies, no, you'll go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me, but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 go out. 
they come back and they return with joy. They've been totally successful. They've had an incredible mission, according to Luke. All of this worked. Everything Jesus told them to do and the power that Jesus sent them out to do it in, it worked. The kingdom of God was at hand. When the 72 return with joy, they say, Lord, even the demons submitted to your name. So this is incredible. It's not done in their name. It's done in the name of Jesus. And there are powers and principalities at work in the present world and in the world we cannot see that submit to the authority of these, not the 12, but of the 70 to 72, also to the 12. But I just think it's not restricted only to the 12, that this mission of Jesus has pushed out to all of us, that it works, that when we go and we bless people and we bring peace and shalom and we bring healing and the good news of the kingdom, it works. Because then Jesus says this, I, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. I just want to say that I don't think that that means, hey, Christians are uniquely equipped to handle snakes and scorpions. I think it means that in all the illusions that we have of snakes in the Bible, including all the way up into Revelation, where John the Revelator connects Satan to a snake, that you have authority over these powers, even the most creepy, deadliest powers, and even those, like if Satan falls down from the sky and you have authority over Satan, then you also have authority over any of the demons involved. So I think it's symbolic. Um, to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. Now, that also is a challenging statement because we know that the disciples and the 7072 and many other followers of Jesus will come to harm as a result of their pursuit of the kingdom of God. However, it is not eternal harm, right? However, do not rejoice that the spirit submit to you, Jesus says, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And this harkens back to a uh, continued practice in Judaism, which is for Yom Kippur, that your name shall be inscribed in the book of life, um, that you are part of God's mission and authority in this world. And at that time, Jesus now is full of joy in the Holy Spirit. And he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. And then he continues on. And I think you're going to talk about some of these with City. I think that's the elevator pitch that we as followers of Jesus have been given authority and power and hope. And we have, we do have good news and we can bring that good news to others and we can usher that good news into this world. And it doesn't mean that there won't be trials, but that the battle has already been won in the authority Jesus has given us. That's very nice. Okay. Later on, we get to another section, which is famously known as the Good Samaritan. Tom, give us your brief summation of what's going on in this particular passage. Yeah, I think it's a continuation of the first part of chapter 10. And I say that because when, as Danielle was talking about, about sending out the 72, it's about action. It's about being involved. And what we learn in the next section is they were amazed that things actually worked and they actually... Uh, could do things. And what it tells me is they began to, one of the best verses in that second chapter is, or second part is, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. And what this means is these people had been hearing from Jesus all this time, and they were listening, and they finally began to understand it, and they began to see it. And so the kingdom of God comes through Jesus, but then it can come through us just as it comes through these 72 people as they embody God's love and God's service into the world. 
And so as we come to this parable, this famous parable of the Good Samaritan, it really is a practical example of the first two sections. Uh, it starts off with a, a lawyer, which could be a priest. It, it could be a priest because he's an expert in the law. But this guy comes in and he's challenging Jesus. The text actually says he's testing Jesus. Later on, it actually he asks another question. He's and he's trying to justify himself. He's trying to puff himself up about how good and smart he is, and he's trying to trick Jesus. But I don't think you should try to trick Jesus. <laughs> the question he asked originally, though, is how do I get eternal life? And this is the question he should already know. Most Jewish people already knew what eternal life was. The only people that didn't were the Sadducees, you see, because they didn't believe in eternal life, which is why they were sad, you see. Easy way to remember that. So Jesus says, well, what do you say? What do you believe brings eternal life? And this lawyer quotes what we say every week, you know, love your, your God, uh, love um, God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. See, the lawyer understood what you had to do. Jesus says, correct, do that and you will live. The problem was he didn't understand what it meant. And so that's what the parable is beginning to address. But this is not an easy, feel-good parable, which I think many times that's how we read it. It's actually shocking and provocative and hard to follow. So as we get into the parable, it's beginning in verse 30. It says, after he says, um, uh, do this and you will live. And he says, well, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus says a parable. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell in the hands of robbers. All right, so he fell into the hands of the robber. The robber ends up beating him up. He's laying on the road just half dead. That's what the text says. Now, this is on a road that is, you know, it's regularly traveled by, by people uh, going to Jerusalem, but it's rocky, it's dusty, it's kind of hidden. And this guy's laying there, and three people end up walking by. The first was, was, the, was the priest. And this is a person well-regarded, puts on all the services in the temple. You think well of him, but what does he do? He walks down, he sees this person on the ground, and he walks around him. And then the Levite, another person that works in the temple, more of a lower-level kind of priest, playing music, helping to uh, man the gates. He walks down the road and walks him around as well. So if you're a priest or a Levite, part of the religious Jewish elite, it's not sounding good. But they're assuming the third person coming down will be an Israelite. But it turns out being a Samaritan. It is so critical to understand that is the shocking word. The Samaritan was walking down. He saw this man half beaten. He had compassion on him. And as we know in the story, he helped him. A Samaritan was an enemy of the Jewish people. Uh, been that way for probably 700 years. It's, it's puzzling on one hand that they were enemies because they're descendants, they're relatives. They were both, you know, came through Abraham. They were both part of the 12 tribes of Israel, with the Israelites being from Benjamin and Levi and Judah and Simeon, and with the Samaritans being from Ephraim and Manasseh. They were part of the same family. But you know how families can have fights, and it can spread and get bigger and bigger. And that's what happened in the story, and it was going on at this time. In fact, when Jesus, if you remember the story, when 
he went to Samaria and he talked to the woman by the well. The woman says to him, why are you asking me for water? You're Jewish. I'm a Samaritan. And the text says, uh, and, you know, and she says to him, we, uh, you know, the text says at that point, Jews and Samaritans don't associate. There's actually a, a little uh, reference in my Bible that says they wouldn't eat off the same dishes. Now, that is contempt. That's pretty vile that you wouldn't even eat, eat off the dishes. But that was the attitude. And so at that time, uh, it was common for uh, Jews to try to go to Jerusalem, and they would either bypass Samaria, because if they went through Samaria, they would be hassled and possibly robbed. And in the same token, the, um, when Jesus, he tried to send a mission, like on like 72, tried to go through a town in Samaria, and they wouldn't accept Jesus. Not because it was Jesus, but because he was going to Jerusalem. Lots of hatred there, which, again, is surprising. But that is what happens. And so in this parable, we're trying to figure out who is the good neighbor. It wasn't the priest. It wasn't the Levi. It ends up being a Samaritan, which is like a smack in the face for, really, I would say most Jewish people, because all of the Jewish people really had disregard and hatred for uh, the Samaritan people. I'll stop there. Awesome. Okay, let's move uh, to taking some of that historical stuff, both from Danielle's section of the context of the Old Testament passages, um, that not only is God doing something through Jesus, but God is doing something through us and moving, moving us forward, and then the Samaritan stuff and move into the question of, so what does that actually mean? What I mean, we're in a 2021 towards the end of a pandemic and we're dealing with all sorts of socio-political conflict um some of us are just trying to you know put food on the table and get through each particular day um what would be the takeaway or the interpretation and how does this fit into the grander jesus story and the commission for all of us um at this particular moment that would be my question is it for for both, for of, both, us? both, for, Tom go first. For both of you and Tom, you had some really incredible, I think, uh, interpretive lenses, interpretive pull-throughs of, uh, of the Good Samaritan. It, would you mind sharing, like, the main question in there is, who is my neighbor? But there's actually a flip that Jesus does there. Would you mind explicating yeah, that so flip? The, yeah, so the flip is, it's not so much, who is my neighbor? The question is, who is not my neighbor? Yeah. That's the harder thing. But that's what the Lord, that's what... Um, the lawyer was really asking. He wasn't. He was asking, "Who do I not have to love? Who do mm -hmm. I not have to mm -hmm. care about? Do I have to care about my enemy?" And what we learn from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we say it every week, is of course you got to love everyone. But yeah. you know, think about that. That's hard to do. Yeah. I remember being at a job once where it didn't end out as well as I wanted. And I went for a year where I could not say the CEO's name. I actually wore a hat with <laughs> the company's name of the circle slash on it. <laughs> That's pretty hateful, right? <laughs> and I didn't go to his house and do anything. But it's that spite you have in your heart and the message that we get Tom. from That's the awesome. Bible and from this lesson in particular yeah. is for Jesus, we have to love everyone. We have to love the alien, we have to love the stranger, and we have to love the people we hate, which is hard to do because it's so much easier for us to dehumanize, to slander people, yeah. uh, rather than realize that, you know, ultimately, we all come from God, everyone's worthy of respect, we all live under the same sky, 
and we are all made in God's image. So get over it and learn how to respond with love rather than hate. It's a hard thing to do. One of the I think thing, Danielle, you were mentioning that was it last week, even. Yeah. 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 One of the things that I think we've all we've all just been dealing with it. We've been swimming in contempt. We've been swimming in division, polarization. I mean, these are words that have floated around recently. And one of the things that I really that really struck out to me when you shared um, is that there is a con consistent impulse within us, especially as people who might happen to identify with a particular religion or or faith that God somehow then is the one to to do. So I, I follow God, but God is the ult ultimately the one to do all that. And I, I'm somehow exempted because of these divisions and things uh, along those lines. And then it kind of dissolves, uh, distills down to your question, like, who is not my neighbor? Like, how far do I really have to take this? Like, what, what yeah. really is my, uh, the, what are the boundaries around this? Um, by asking who is my neighbor, uh, the the question yeah is exactly do is that per, does that person qualify for this commandment of love and this commission of love right and I mean what a I mean that's not only a contemptible question to the person it's a it's a contemptible question to God Himself and you know in yeah. some particular ways but it shifts from who is my neighbor to who am I and who yeah. is God and what has God called me to my commission my job is to be a person who loves period and then the person who might happen to be next to me then is then therefore a recipient of that love of that respect regardless of where they might happen to fall in the social structure friend neighbor enemy you know family etc right yeah, well, kevin I'm i sure. agree with you that idea of uh you know of uh the parable i think helps us and i think what jesus is trying to help us is to understand how we see and how, you know, truly, how do we see people? That's the challenge that we're going to, you know, we have to deal with. To flip it would be to try to be more like that good Samaritan, not necessarily in the good deed, but the text actually says that when he sees this person, he's filled with compassion. Right. And the Greek word is this, esplanchnisti, probably butchered that word. But the word basically <laughs> right. means it's something deep in your inner gut which compels you to do something. Yeah. It's the same word that happened with the prodigal son when the father ran for the son. It's the same went to the town of, of Nain, and a uh, widow was there, and her son had just died. Jesus had compassion for him. He had this feeling in his gut. So in all three of these instances with the Good Samaritan, with this compassion, this deep feeling, they were compelled to do something for what they perceived as death or loss, and they wanted to restore wholeness. That, my friend, is what living a life that's more like Jesus is. That's the way of being a Christian where you, you're living, I think, in the kingdom of God. Yeah. It's, it's radically transformative. Um, really hard. Um, very, very difficult. And that's part, yeah. <laughs> it's part of the reason why we have a lot of people that adhere to a lot of faith. But uh, it, it's a, it is perhaps another shift to then actually say, okay, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, because to do this is actually very, very challenging, which is why these stories are in here and so powerful and revolutionary. So, Danielle? Well, I was just kind of saying that, you know, the command to love your neighbor first shows up in Leviticus 19. Mm -hmm. And yeah. when God says, you know, do all these things, like stand in the presence of your elders, don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind, don't curse the deaf, like do this, do that, right? care for the ant, like all these beautiful things. And things we don't do as well, like, you know, 
fabrics and stuff like that. But um, when God says that, it, there's no qualifier. He doesn't explain, you know, Israel as a nation is getting to, ready to go into a land where there will be hostile neighbors. Hostile neighbors, right? Like the Canaanites and the Jebusites and like these, right? They don't want them there. There will be challenges. There will be battles. There will be conflict. And they're not going to even get into Jerusalem for a very long time up until King David, right? It just takes a long time to get there. And yet the command is love your neighbors. That's just a very challenging thing to say. I think that what you pointed out, Tom, is that they're looking for who do I get to avoid loving? Like yeah. where's the exclusion rule versus the inclusion rule? And it reminds me of the kids from, you know, like youth group kids years ago would kind of ask us like, how far is too far, right? Like how, how much can I get away with before I'm outside the bounds of God's commands? And I feel like that's the question. It was like, it's sort of like, what can I get away with before I'm in deep trouble? And we heard a professor years ago say, oftentimes when it comes to rules or commandments or laws, um, Christians are looking for, this is an oversimplification, but it's something to consider. Christians are looking for a way out where faithful Jews are looking for a way in. And we might say, oh, that's legalistic, right? Regarding a conversation about Shabbat, do you drive, do you not drive or whatever. But it's the question about wanting to please God and keep the command versus trying to get away with as much as you can. I think it's an oversimplification. I think humans look for ways out or for ways in. And here in this conversation, Jesus is inviting us all in, right? Into the beautiful, crazy thing that happens when you love somebody and you allow the compassion within you those, you know, eyes that God has for that person, but that person is a child of God, right? The compassion in you to be stirred. And then we become the people we want to be uh, because we have not been transformed into the hatred of our enemies, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a very significant challenge. And of course, Jesus doesn't just say, love your neighbor. He also extends it, says, love your enemy as well. I, I do think just for fun, people should at, Let's go ahead. Let's sum it up. We're just coming. To oh, yeah. To I was time. just going to say, so gonna don't forget to go also back to Second Chronicles twenty fifteen and following, because there's a commentary that Jesus seems to be making where the Samaritans in that story are actual kin. They're actually the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom after the Civil War split. Those are the people residing in Samaria. So while a lot of complicating things happen after the Assyrian destruction of the northern kingdom and the lost 10 tribes and all of the intermarriage, Jesus seems to be in this Good Samaritan parable commenting or recalling this passage in 2 Chronicles 28 as well um, to sort of remind everybody that you're related to these people, which is just the humanity of, of all of us, that all of us humans here on the face of earth, we're related to one another. We have a common connection. The sun rises and sets on all of us. The rain falls on, on, on all of us, the righteous and the unrighteous. So thank you, Thomas. Really thought-provoking. All right, uh, let's uh, give it a, a brief summary at the very end. I mean, like one of my big takeaways, I suppose, that I'm, I'm hearing is, like from Danielle's portion of the 70 uh, is that is a little bit of what I was mentioning before. It's like this kind of outsourcing my spiritual responsibility to God or to somebody else. But this is a commission to us that and we can do this empowered by God's spirit. Um, and that empowerment 
uh, is often met with some resistance. So we're not looking for a way in, we're looking for a way out. And the parable of the Good Samaritan, this particular story, uh, hits us in the face with the question of who are we as people who are followers of God, who are people who love, not just the question, well, who really is my neighbor? How do I, do I really have to love this person? So there's, there's all these different uh, flips that are there. So why don't we, um, both of you give a brief summation. Let's go back to my original question of like an elevator pitch. Somebody comes to you, what is the 70 all about? What is the Good Samaritan all about? What is our encouragement uh, for today? And, and you've got 30 seconds to 60 seconds in an elevator with them. Let's start with Pastor Daniel. Okay, sorry. So I just see a couple comments from Arlette, and I'm really grateful for your interaction. Um, and I just want to call out that, just sorry, before the 30 mm -hmm, second pitch, mm -hmm. A lot of times when we hear this passage or any of these passages, like you have authority in Christ to do these beautiful things, go and do it and be powerful and awesome and amazing and Satan falls from heaven or love your neighbor as yourself and love your enemies and do these things. These are very high callings and high aspirations. And then we can immediately go, I'm not doing that, right? There's so many, I mean, I feel like in the pews, in the rows, um, not you, but people you know, right? In in the YouTube screen that we, we immediately think, oh man, I have such shame. I'm not hitting this mark. I'm not doing that. It's too hard. Are you saying I have to go back into an abusive situation? No, 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 no. This, Jesus clearly says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And that's also in Leviticus. And I think the meaning behind that is if you are then to have compassion towards your neighbor, the way the Samaritan had compassion towards the one that is harmed, then you love them like you love yourself and you can have compassion towards yourself as well. There is no help in shame or anger or, um, you know, heavy laden burdens in this conversation. It doesn't help us to love one another or enemies or ourselves, if we're just feeling bad about all the ways that we don't miss the mark. I think that, and that this is my elevator pitch at the beginning, this is a supernatural experience. We are not to do this on our own. Jesus sends us out in power with the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit falling on us, Satan falling from heaven, still busy here on earth, obviously in that story, but ultimately defeated. So give yourself some compassion. Know that you are not doing this on your own, but you're doing it as ones that are sent out by Christ into this world, that Christ gives us all that we need to do it. Um, it doesn't mean we'll do it perfectly. It doesn't mean we'll do it every time. It means that we'll actually fail a ton, but that ultimately the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus has got this and we can be compassionate towards ourselves and others in the process. Pastor Tom. Uh, we are definitely divided in America right now. And this would be a great time for us people of faith to step up and be able to lead maybe a little bit in this area. And totally agree with the comment about let's not get all legalistic about it. In fact, in this story, the lawyer asking the question was getting all legalistic. He was looking for that one thing that he could do to get eternal life amongst the other commands that he was keeping. That's not what we're trying to do, being rule followers. We're trying to be people who live the life, following the way of Jesus. Yeah, and that means Tom's going to wear a hat with the guy with the cross through. Sometimes I do that stuff. But hopefully more often than not, you know, I'm being moved to do it a different way, where I do show compassion that comes from my gut, that compels me to live a different way, not because I have to, 
but because it gives me life. That's eternal yeah. life. Yeah. The yeah. life and the joy that comes from that. Yeah. Compassion that we just bring to our community for the person under the overpass. Compassion for you know people suffering in India. Compassion mm-hmm. for the people yeah. right now that are looking for just a little bit of accountability and justice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. the, that's the compassion. That's the story of the parable. Yeah. Right. And I'll, I'll uh, add my my. Um, 1.73 to it, I suppose, in the sense that I, I, I very much echo this sentiment. It's so hard to give a teaching about a commission without needing to explain kind of the full breadth and length of the long story of God's faithfulness and love and patience and compassion with us. Perhaps we can just sum up a little bit of the sentiment by saying if whatever we are feeling about this commission of Jesus to go and to love other people in this radical, dynamic, powerful, compassionate way, it is only because we have a God who has loved us in that same radical, dynamic, and compassionate way. And wherever we might happen to be on this faith journey, there are those moments. And this is part of the reason why we have a beautiful, long history and long tradition where we just need to sit in God's compassion and love for ourselves. Just we have not felt it. We haven't soaked in it. And we need to be reminded of that. And we need to take solace. And peace needs to come to this home. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we hear the commission in these particular passages, because we are in the gospel according to Luke, there's a commission that is there. Um, one possible way for some of us to understand this is for that same love and compassion comes to us as a commission because it first came to us through God's sacrifice, through God's creation, through God's everlasting love and persistent pursuit of us as we see throughout the entire tradition of the scriptures. So, my friends, thank you for joining us. I hope that that was of uh, interest and or commission for loving, f- helpful for you. Live the life. Uh, I like, I'm yeah. going to bring up Patty's comment here. Yeah. Live the life, and we are not expected to do it on our own because we have God's Spirit and because He first loved us. And because we have one another. Like, the Spirit is given to a community. These commands are given to a community. Like, the disciples aren't sent out by themselves to love a difficult person. They're sent out by two by two. And in 70 to 72, and groups of 12, and beyond, right? Yeah. This is not just on your own. Um, and you, you are not alone. Yeah. Right. And to love as yourself, if you wouldn't ask your neighbor to do it, then you don't have to ask yourself to do it. <laughs> Friends, we're going to move to communion, and uh, we hope that you have your elements um, available. This is yet another part of our service that we do every single week that reminds us of God's love for us, of Jesus' sacrifice. And we remember and commemorate that sacrifice and that love every time we take communion. So we're going to let the slides lead us in a time of communion, and then we'll see you back in just a few minutes.